You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Lord, for those of us who suffer as Christians, regardless of the reason that our hearts would be focused upon you and that we might venture on you and venture on you wholly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, draw your attention this morning to First Peter chapters 4 and 5, and you might find it helpful to have your Bibles open uh, as we look at the nature of suffering for a Christian. Because Paul, I'm sorry, Peter says here in verse 12 uh, that suffering actually comes as a surprise to Christians. Even though time and time again the Bible says that God's faithful people will suffer persecution, will will suffer under various and sundry circumstances, yet when it comes upon us, we find ourselves alarmed. We find it uh, terrifying. We find it out of sorts. We find it out of the ordinary. We are surprised by it. And so Peter, in a very pastoral way, talks about suffering due to persecution and suffering due to circumstance in the life of a Christian and how it is that we ought to respond to suffering. Or better yet, how does God respond to our suffering? I think all of us know certainly what it means to suffer even now as we continue our quarantine, which is kind of in this strange phase where most of us are on edge and just ready to break out and find ourselves uh, doing things that seem rebellious, like going to the grocery store more often than we probably ought to, but we feel like we have to do something to break the change of that which is around us. And yet others of us are still gripped by a fear, and a fear that is rooted in reality. Some of us are susceptible to getting COVID-19 and suffering dire consequences. And there seems to be a tension even in the world right now and a shaming culture around how each of us is reacting to COVID-19, and that's bringing on and compounding suffering uh, in a way that we didn't experience it before this quarantine. I mean, I found in the past couple weeks and meetings that I've been in, everybody's a little bit edgier than they used to be, and they're much more willing to tell you the truth, whether it's helpful or not. And so it's clear that the suffering that we were experiencing internally is now beginning to pour out onto the front stage for everybody else to see. And so this morning, I want us to really dig dig down into what the great themes of 1 Peter Peter are, which is suffering and glory. In chapter 4, verse 16, we read that, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Or later on in chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is that, yes, the Christian life is marked by suffering. It's a given. And as Christians, we actually are going to experience suffering more acutely than non-Christians. 
and yet our hearts are oriented toward the glory that awaits us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly-oriented or an end-times-oriented, a new Jerusalem-oriented heart now that we are in Christ Jesus. It's a little bit like the country preacher who went to visit a farmer, and as he stood in the middle of the farmer's great farm, he said to him, well, how much land do you farm here? And the farmer says, well, when you look in that direction, it's as far as you can see. Well, that's a lot of land, the preacher said. The farmer said, well, that's not it. If you look in that direction, I own as far as you can see. The preacher just sort of shrugged a little bit, and then he looked up and pointed and said, well, how much do you own in that direction? We can have everything that the world has to offer, and yet how much are we invested in that heavenward direction? And suffering helps to give us perspective of where our lives ought to be oriented. And so the two main causes of our suffering articulated are one, persecution, and two, circumstance. During this time of pandemic, the church in many ways has been at its best, caring for our neighbors, caring for one another, going to our knees in prayer, and indeed being a bright light of encouragement even to the world around us. And so it comes as a a surprise to us that there would be any persecution. So long as we're good neighbors, the world couldn't possibly hate us. And yet actually we're seeing the church now under a microscope. In places like northern Nigeria, because of the pandemic, persecution of Christians has increased. And even here in the United States, there are more questions about the role of the church in the life of our nation, even during times of pandemic. And rightful or not, even targeting the church as one of the sources of possible outbreak with COVID-19. And so the world is looking at us much more closely than they were before. And when the church of Jesus Christ has an elevated profile, it should accept and expect persecution because it's a threat. And that persecution comes in three ways. It comes from, as we say in our baptism service, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is where our trouble comes about. The world will persecute us, the devil will persecute us, And even our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of others will come down upon us. And in answer to the question, why are you suffering? Peter says in chapter 4, verse 14, you're suffering and being insulted in the name of Christ. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're being insulted for the name of Christ. You're being persecuted because of your faithfulness in Him. An unfaithful believer or an unfaithful church is no threat. And you won't suffer persecution. In fact, if you're not suffering persecution because of your faithfulness, you may be right to ask, why am I not being persecuted? 
Because if we're unfaithful, the world doesn't worry about us. The devil doesn't worry about us. The other day, the UPS man pulled up in the driveway, and I could tell that he was hesitant to get out of his truck because our dogs were out and about. And I yelled to him, don't worry, they don't bite. And he responded from the comfort of his truck, they got teeth, don't they? Well, we as Christians have teeth. There's an expectation actually from the world and the devil that God's call in our lives, we should be faithful. And yet if we're defanged, we're no threat. And like the UPS man wouldn't have any fear of a defanged dog, the world and the devil aren't going to have any fear of us if we're defanged as Christians and prove to be unfaithful. A defanged Christian is no threat and can be ignored. You know, undergoing persecution as Christians, which most of us have never really experienced at the level that other Christians have, Peter says there's a point to it. And he makes that point in verse 12 when he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. These trials and this persecution comes along to test you or to translate it another way, to prove you. Dick Lucas gives the fictional interview with someone who was persecuting Christians, asking them, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you giving your co-workers a hard time? Why are you giving your fellow factory workers a hard time? Why are you giving your neighbors a hard time? Why is it that you're seeking to persecute them because of their faith? And the persecutor responds, well, these Christians are turning our world upside down. They're attempting to overthrow our long-time traditions and assumptions. They have to be driven under even killed. And yet those who would persecute the the church, whether it be in Peter's day or in our day or in any day in between or any day after us, the question is, do they succeed? No. Chapter 4, verse 12 says that they actually proved it. They made the witness stronger. They refined it. They set out to do one thing, but they accomplished something quite different. The very thing that they are attempting to do to overthrow God's cause actually overthrows them. And so there's a positive aspect to the persecution and suffering that we experience at the persecutor's hands. It proves us. And in many ways, not only should we expect it, but when it comes upon us, we should count it all joy because it actually overthrows the world and elevates the Lord Jesus Christ. But now what about suffering and circumstance? We might better understand the the suffering and persecution, but what about circumstance? Because fiery trials are not confined to open persecution. And we find this in the story of Job. 
where Job was persecuted. Why? For his faithfulness. But how did it manifest itself? In circumstance. Job lost everything. And not only that, he was cursed by terrible friends. And it was so bad that his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And so it is that we find in circumstances that even the forces of hell are unleashed upon us. Peter writes in 5, 8, and 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so you may not be experiencing suffering due to persecution by your neighbor or your coworker or the world, but Peter says, be watchful. You should expect that if you're being faithful, the devil is going to come at you. And not just seeking to hinder you, but seeking to devour you. And such attacks and the temptations of this world and our own sin can lead to great suffering. If you were to contemplate your suffering right now, could you identify its source? Because I think that you can acknowledge where your suffering is right now. But I want you to be able to get behind it. What's the real root cause of suffering? Because right now, if you're drinking too much, if you're arguing with your husband or wife or children or whoever it may be too much, if you're abusing drugs, if you're engaging in pornography, you can look at those things and say, those are identifiable. These are ways in which my suffering is manifested. But are you able to take a step back and ask, where are these things coming from? Where are their sources? And I would venture that all of them can be attributed to sin, the world, and the devil. I know that I'm fighting with my wife because I'm completely self-interested. I know that I'm likely to have one too many because I'm having a hard time coping with this world because I'm dissatisfied with what's happening in the world around me. And however else it might be manifesting itself in your life, at its root, it's coming from your own sinful nature, it's coming from the world, or it's coming from the devil himself. And we're being squeezed, and the worst things about us are being exposed. And if I'm honest, I want to be delivered from my circumstance but not necessarily have my heart reconciled to God in these matters. I may pray with the outward man, God, help me to get along better with my spouse. God, help me to not yell at my kids. God, prevent me from looking at things that I have no business looking at that tear my heart to shreds. God, help me from abusing substances. 
We want to be delivered from the circumstance or even yet, Lord, bring an end to this pandemic because if you brought an end to it, then I know I'd be a better person and maybe those things wouldn't manifest themselves in our lives. But Peter is saying here that that's simply not true, that they're existing only in better times you can hide them better. And so the real prayer of our hearts ought to be, God, change me. Orient myself away from the things of this world and orient my, my heart towards you. I mean, this is what he says, isn't it, in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humbling yourselves that he may exalt you, that he might restore you, that he might elevate you to make you into the man or woman that God has called you to be, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why do we have anxiety in this time? Why do we find find ourselves grappling with all of these struggles that we have in our lives? Why do we find it difficult to cast our anxieties on Jesus? Well, we're told because we're not humbled. And brothers and sisters, if there was ever a time where we ought to be brought to humility, it's this time. And yet each and every single one of us need to have those things which we are trying to fix ourselves pride from our cold, dead, spiritual hands by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and we need to find ourselves humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that we might be restored and be made whole. Because verse 6 tells us that not only is God in control of all that is happening, but that no matter what happens, he can be trusted to exercise his control for his people's good. Not simply submitting ourselves to circumstance, some sort of mindless resignation, but to God himself. So it's not just about making peace with the reality around us saying we need to live within the truth of the pandemic, although that would be a step in the right direction. But it's actually to say, I need peace with God. That the issue is not between me and my family, me and my coworkers, me and the world. The issue is between God and me. To humble ourselves virtually demands from believers in God not just passive resignation, but active cooperation, allowing ourselves to be humbled. And so not focusing so much on the anxieties themselves of how we might be able to remove them, or rather the circumstances that cause those anxieties, but coming to a place where we're willing to cry uncle spiritually. We can't rid ourselves of trouble, verse 7 tells us, but we can throw off the anxiety they cause. And this word that Peter used to talk, uses to talk about care and anxiety comes from a verbal root which means to divide. Anxiety divides your mind and distracts your heart from wholehearted devotion 
to God. And in times like these, when we're suffering, whether it be persecution or circumstance, we feel that division in our lives acutely. And the answer is to not bottle it up, to be able to hide it like we did before COVID-19. The answer is to not just cast our anxieties upon Jesus because he cares for us, but what Peter is saying is to cast your entire life upon the Lord Jesus Christ that you might find your all in him. What causes our suffering? Sin, the world, and the devil. It comes by persecution and it comes by circumstance. And Peter encourages us this morning that even as we suffer here in this world, that we might orient our hearts toward the next by throwing ourselves upon Jesus Christ, who is the only one who has the power to change our hearts. Hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that in the midst of our suffering hearts, that we would hear you, our Savior, say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a, had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.